so far. Blonde, blue-eyed Tim Brooke Taylor, the international dope, has, <laughs> has set off for a camping holiday in Bradford where he encounters one Graham Garden. There is only one. Garden is in love with society hostess and striptease artist Josephine Kendall, who doesn't return his affections, although she likes him as a friend, because she is secretly engaged to David Hatch, the well-known bore, who has recently threatened to expose the dubious habits of North Country-born pop singer Bill Oddie, who has recently taken London by tube. Now, read on. <laughs> It's I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm read. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm read that. Good evening. Present another in the series of I'm Sorry, I'll Read That Again, potted biographies. Oh, now when you're potting out your biographies, be sure and use plenty of horse. Shut up. Oh. <laughs> we, present, we present a sound portrait of one of the country's greatest industrialists, Sir Ruddy Shame. In this profile, we hear the voices of Sir Ruddy Shame himself and all his friends and colleagues who would agree to appear for nothing. First, I spoke to his secretary, Mavis Featherplume, who holds him in great respect, and also very tightly. <laughs> Tell me, Miss Featherplume, how do you like it with your employer? Pardon? Hmm? <laughs> I mean, what's he like to work with? Oh, he's a marvellous boss and a really wonderful man. He's a great lover of the arts, you know. Yes, I believe he has quite a collection of paintings. Oh, yes. I'll never forget the first time he showed me his Botticelli. Really? And I'll never forget the second time, either. No. Next, I spoke to P.C. Arthur Boot. Excuse me, Constable. Could you tell me the time? Half past three. Thank you. Then... <laughs> then I visited Sir Ruddy's business partner, Montague's side parting. Get out! Get out of my office, you snivelling little gutters. Now go on, put it off, you evil little rat. You mean bursting here like this? Go on, put it off. Out, out, out. Uh, excuse me, there must be some mistake. I'm from the BBC. Get out! Go on! Out! Go on! Go on! Lastly, we travelled down to Much Grobbits, the country home of the Shames, where we saw Sir Ruddy's wife. Oh, look, there's Sir Ruddy's wife. Oh, yes. Here at Much Grobbits, I spoke to Sir Ruddy Shame himself. Sir Ruddy, you were born in humble surroundings. In fact, well, your father was a coal miner in Kensington. Yes, yes, yes. And he was very poor. Why? It was a smokeless zone. I see, but from this humble start in life, you have become one of the best-loved men in the country. Now, how do you explain that? I suppose I'm just lucky with women, you know, some people <laughs> Then, as a young man, you set yourself up in the bread-pudding industry. Yeah. Until today, I suppose it could be true to say that you are the man who put bread pudding on the map. Yes, yes, I did, I did. But I'll clean it off again as soon as I... <laughs> Sir Ruddy, you are now an extremely rich man, yet how much money... How much money do you have in your wallet at this moment? Ah, uh, ah, uh, 
Let's see, I have two pounds, ten. And is that all you have with you? No, I've got some silver uh, in my trouser pocket, three million, million pounds. <laughs> I see, so that explains your unusual habit of, of wearing your trousers down around your ankles. Well, well it, it, it rots so much the weight of the money as the four security guards I've got in there to watch it. <laughs> ah! Ooh, ouch! Oh, what's wrong? They're brewing up tea again. <laughs> it's all right, it'll pass off. <laughs> and finally, if you were to meet a young man setting off down life's long and arduous highway, what would you say to him? Bye-bye! <laughs> down, Julian. Now, I think it's time we had a serious talk, dear. Your father and I have discussed it, and we feel that at 14, you're old enough to know about things. <laughs> now, when I say things, I, I think you know what I'm talking about, Julian, and it's nothing we need be embarrassed about. <laughs> yes, Julian, I'm talking about money. <laughs> Now, you probably still think that it just grows on trees, or that Daddy found it in a pirate chest. But there's more to it than that, Julian. You see, there are pounds, and there are pennies, and they're different. <laughs> and, Julian, checks don't just happen. <laughs> Well, they have to get together for it. Now, now, ideally, this happens in the setting of a proper, happy bank account, where it's legal. But, but it's not always like that. I'm afraid every year there are more and more bunny bouncing checks which just shouldn't have come into the world. You do understand, don't you, Julian? Money's nothing to be ashamed of. And I hope you'll always talk to Daddy or me about any problems you may have about making cash. <laughs> I know you're just like other boys, and I'm sure you've fooled about with slot machines and shut hate me behind the pavilion. <laughs> I mean, everyone's a bit silly about money now and then. Before we had a joint account... Your daddy and I <laughs> used sometimes to get a little bit overdrawn <laughs> in spite of what our parents told us. Luckily, I never got bankrupt. <laughs> there. That's all I've got to say. But I thought you ought to know the facts, particularly now that you've got two children to support. <laughs> Good evening. With us tonight in the Let's Hear About It studio is the famous boxer, Mr. Butch Harrington, who has just returned from America, where he fought and beat the world champion, Floyd Schwartz. Good, good evening, Mr. Harrington, or should I call you champ? No. Uh, well, uh, how, how does it feel to be champion of the world? It feels marvellous to be champion of the world, absolutely marvellous. <laughs> Did you enjoy the trip? Oh, yes, had a marvellous time. Did you fly there? No, no, I can't fly. I... Uh... <laughs> I've had to go by bus. To America? No, no, Stockport. Stockport? Yes. You're, you're not Mr. Butch Harrington? Well, now you come to mention it, yes. 
Yes? Yes. I'm not Mr. Butch Harrington. <laughs> but, but, but you just said it felt marvellous to be world champion. Oh, yes. Well, I expect it does. <laughs> and you're not a boxer? A boxer? Yes, a boxer. Well, of course I'm not. Boxer's a sort of dog with a pug face and short ears. <laughs> I haven't got short ears, have I? Well, no. No. My ears are long and sleek. I'm not a boxer. <laughs> I'm a collie. <laughs> a collie? Yes, a collie. A collie dog? No, no, of course not. I don't look like a dog, do I? No. Dogs can't talk like me, can they? No. Whatever made you think I was a dog? Well, I... I'm not a collie dog. No, no. I'm I... a cauliflower. A cauliflower? Yes. Don't you believe me? Well, to be quite honest, no. Why not? Why don't you believe I'm a cauliflower? Well, I, um, well... Cauliflowers can't talk. How do you know? Well, I've never heard one. Well, it's no proof, is it? Have you ever heard a David Hatch speak? No. Well, that doesn't mean he can't speak, does it? No. No, it just means that he's never sober enough to speak. <laughs> never thought of that. Well, you see, the only reason you've never heard a cauliflower speak before is that they've always been too drunk to speak. Oh. Now, do you believe I'm a cauliflower? Well, I suppose so, yes. Yeah. That's better. What am I? A uh, uh, cauliflower. Louder. A cauliflower. Now tell the audience. He is a cauliflower. What's the matter? What are you laughing You. Why? You think I'm a cauliflower. <laughs> well, well, you are. No, I'm not. Well, you said you were. I was joking. You're not a cauliflower. No. No, I'm not a cauliflower. I'm a cabbage. Are you sure? Yes. You're definitely a cabbage? Yes. You're not joking? No, I'm a cabbage. Good. Because I'm a caterpillar and I eat cabbages. <laughs> We've had a request for Bill Oddie to sing a straight song. Please, may I sing a straight song? <laughs> All right, Oddie. Just the once. Make it quick. So if any of his songs are funny, uh, shut up. Goodbye. No use leading with our chins. This is where our story ends. Never lovers, ever friends. Goodbye. Let our hearts come. Call it a day, but before you walk away, I sincerely want to say, I wish you bluebirds in the spring to give your heart a song to sing. And a kiss. <laughs> but more than this. More than what? I wish you love. Oh, darling. Thank you. And in, <laughs> and in July, a lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> to cool you in some leafy glade. You, it's hot. I wish you health. <laughs> But more than wealth, money, money, I wish you love, my aching heart, and I agree, quite right, absolutely, that this was never meant to be, or not to be, but with my best, your best what, my very best, that, no, I set you free, I free, I wish you shelter from the storm 
cozy fire to keep you warm. But most of all, when snowflakes fall, I wish you'd shut up! For a ghost story. The story of the ghost of McMuckle Mance. <laughs> Our tale opens in the smoking room of a well known gentleman's club for well known gentlemen. Grimbling. Yes, hello, Clutch Feathering Hawk, and all that is. I'd like another port. How about Liverpool then, sir? Capital. No, that's London, sir. I say, Clutch Feathering Hawk. Do you believe in ghosts? Ghosts? Pebble, poppycock, nothing more. Let a ball of ass. Call that him believing them. Oh, well, if you look over there, you can see a chap who claims he's actually seen one. It's young Tim Brown Windsor. Just a tick. Yes, so I've heard. I'll... <laughs> I'll call him over. I say, Brown Windsor. I say, what hurt, chaps? I was just talking to Clutch Feathering Hall about ghosts. Tell old Clutch Wagger Feather Packers about, about that ghost of yours. Very well. It all happened on the first night of my honeymoon. My wife Fiona and I were going to stay at a lonely Scottish boarding house, McMuckle Mance. <laughs> impressions and ring the bell. I wasn't doing bird impressions. That makes a change. <laughs> I'll ring the bell, Fiona. Can I help you? <laughs> he said through the door. <laughs> Yes, we're Mr. and Mrs. Brown Windsor. <laughs> come away in, come in, come in, come in. We'll be staying the night. <laughs> Nobody stays the night, McMuckle Man. Who are you? I'm fine. Who's yourself? <laughs> Mind him, sir. He's been simple-minded ever since he caught his sparring in the through the doctor. <laughs> but anyway, why does nobody stay the night at McMuckle Mance? Have you never heard tale of the curse of the McMuckle? Every night, every night at the hour of midnight, when the keeper killies cry in the gloaming, and the peabrock stirl up your kilt. <laughs> The McMuckle ghost stalks abroad. But it never catches one. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid of a rotten old ghost. <laughs> You're a brave man, sir, but just you mind the curse of the McMuckle. Mind the curse of the McMuckles, eh? <laughs> well, they showed us to our room and we went to bed. It was the first night of our honeymoon, remember. But you'll never guess what happened. I think I... <laughs> I can imagine. I thought later that night we heard strange noises. (laughs) 
footsteps. I heard footsteps on the landing. Tim, Tim, wake up. Oh, not again, Fiona. <laughs> servants brought some letters up to me. Your mail, sir. Don't bet on it, <laughs> Now, let's see what we've got in the post. Oh, dear, they're all bills. Oh, thank you very much. Wait, wait, there's one for you. Why, it's from my old chum, Professor Throgmorton Wembley, the expert in parapsychical research, hauntings of speciality. What luck! Yes, isn't it? He'll soon solve the mystery of the muckle ghost. In fact, there's even more luck. He's arriving here tomorrow. Next morning. Thank you, David. Not at all. Very good. Hello, Brown Windsor. Professor Throgmorton Wembley, this is my wife. I don't think you've met her. No, I don't think I've had the pleasure. But I've met her once or twice. Professor, <laughs> who is this mysterious, dark-eyed oriental girl who you brought with you? Oh, this is my enchanting Egyptian assistant, Fatou. Greetings, our English gentleman. Fatou is an invaluable help to me. She is well-versed in all the ancient mysteries of the East. And what's more, she's psychical. But most of the time, she works as my maid. Your maid? Yes. yes. And look, I brought you a present. A little wooden seat. Why not sit on it? Oh, do you think it would suit me? Oh, yes. You'd look sweet upon the seat of my psychical maid for two. We apologise for the loss of quality in our jokes. For the moment, <laughs> we shall continue in sound only. That night... We all sat together in the library, waiting for the muckle ghost to reappear. In the flickering light of the storm, we saw strange shapes moving in the bushes outside and heard odd noises. Oh, give over, Hamish! Suddenly, <laughs> Professor Throgmorton Wembley cried out. Out. What is it? <laughs> what is it, Prof? Here in this old tome, the secret of the curse of the McMuckles. It says the only way to get rid of the ghost is to sacrifice a chartered accountant at midnight. <gasps> you mean a human sacrifice? No, just a chartered accountant. <laughs> you're too late, sir. Aye, you're too late. Look over there. Hi, over there. Coming towards towards us. It's the McMuckle ghost. It's the ghost, I recognize that voice. Oh. It's my old friend, Lady Constance de Coverlet, in the sheet. Auntie. Yes, Timothy. It's only me. But, Auntie, why did you do it? Well, I always wanted to meet <laughs> Professor Frogmorton Wembley, the gorgeous creature. And this was the only way I could think of. And now, you ravishing creature, let me run my fingers through your hair. And you better put on a nightgown. No. Hair today, gown tomorrow. Suddenly, as she spoke, the candle began to gutter. Gutter, gutter in my candle voice. And then, it went out. And I'm not coming back. <laughs> 
The room was plunged in darkness. Oh, Timmy, it's so dark I can't see my hand in front of my face. It isn't in front of your face. <laughs> Wait. Wait. I, I feel a presence in this room. Listen. Yes. Everything's gone quiet. Yes. The birds have stopped singing. Yes. This house is silent. Everything is as quiet as the grave. Not a sound to be heard. Yes. Nothing stirs. Nothing moves. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Oh! <laughs> Sorry! <laughs> Look over there! It's the ghost! Oh. Oh. Who, who are you? What do you want of us? Speak to us. Ah, good evening. <laughs> I am the ghost of the ghost. I am the Mac Muck. Macko ghost, I am the... Good evening, I am the ghost. <laughs> well, you don't frighten us. <laughs> uh, don't laugh at me, because I'm a ghoul evening. But I... I cannot rest. I, I'm sorry, I... No, I cannot rest until the Macko treasure is found. Treasure? Where? Follow me. With that, the ghost turned on his heels switched off the light, and before our very eyes, walked straight through the wall. We followed him down dark and dismal corridors, all dusty and damp, and then he took us through a huge old door. We went down a long flight of old crumbling steps into a deep, dark cellar. The cellar was dank and mildewed, and strange little things scuttled across the floor. Stop it, Tim, you're making it up. It was all weird and spooky. Long cobwebs hung down from the roof and blushed your face. Come on, Tim. Stop making it up, stop making it up. There were strange dark shadows in the corner, and bats came swooping down from the roof. Don't don't be so wet. Tell me a story. <laughs> and there were spiders. Oh, yes? <laughs> Horrible black spiders. Oh, no, no, not, not spiders. Fat, hairy spiders that ran up the back of your neck. Stop it. Hundreds of spiders. No, shut up, stop it, stop it, or go away. Huge, enormous black spiders with long, hairy legs that get caught no. in your hair. No. Nasty big spiders with great staring no. eyes. No. No. Scattering across your no. In the corner was a little door. And slowly I opened it, for behind that door lay the treasure. Has the nasty bit finished yet? Yes. Of course, I wasn't really frightened. At that moment, a huge spider leapt out of the dark. After a terrible struggle, I escaped with the treasure. And so ends the story of McMuckle Mance. Next week, we'll be telling you the story of. Um, who's, who's put out the lights? Uh, will somebody put them on again, please? Hello? <laughs> Is anybody there? Help, please. Somebody, please. Oh. <laughs> Is anybody there? Tim Brooke Taylor. Who, who, what? Who said that? Who, who? I'm coming. Get you. Oh, where, who, who, why, where is it? What? I'm coming to get you. Oh, oh. I'm coming to get you. Now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you certainly frightened him off with that spooky voice, David. It wasn't me, it was Graham. I thought it was Bill. No, it wasn't me. <laughs> or me. 
Well, if it was any of us, it must have been... Somebody else! That was Afternoon Theatre, and the cast were as follows. The Honourable Mrs. High Noon Water Closet Pinking Shears by Handsome Bachelor Timbrook Taylor. John Waterbonnet by the Amazing Impressionist Graham Garden. John Bull by the Voice of the Nation, David Hatch. Tiddles Thugbuster by glamorous National Theatre player Joe Kendall. And Bill Oddie by Bill Oddie. <laughs> the work was written by Simon Brett, Derek Farmer, Graham Garden and Bill Oddie. The original song was composed by Bill Oddie from an Elizabethan air from the head of Walter Raleigh. <laughs> the... Uh... The uh, music was Boccherini's String Quartet No. 47, Office 9, written by Dave Lee and deranged by Leon Cohen. <laughs> the programme was produced by David Hatch and Peter Titheridge, who, following the recent trend, have now moved over to television to switch it on. <laughs> and now, before we close, here are a few words from Graham Garden. Land girl, occasional table, very tasty, very sweet. I'm sorry I'll read that again. <laughs>